From National Securities Corporation, it's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Sabal, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. On today's podcast, I'll be speaking with Mike DeCamp. He's the Chief Operating Officer of Covercrest. And Mike and I have known each other for several years now. I thought it'd be great to have him uh, on this podcast to talk about the initiatives that Covercrest is uh, taking on in the world of agriculture, primarily uh, uh, providing solutions to farmers to bring more uh, opportunity to uh, the acreage that they farm. But I'll let him go into more detail uh, with their products. Uh, Mike, thanks for uh, joining uh, the podcast. Thanks, Ivan. Great to talk to you. Appreciate you asking me to be a part of it. As you know, we've been in sort of a down cycle on agriculture since the last peak uh, of corn pricing back in 2012. Um, we're starting to see some potential indications that the cycle might be turning. Um, there's got to be some post-traumatic stress uh, uh, out there in the farming community having uh, lived through the last several years of poor commodity pricing on conventional agricultural products, they surely must be trying to find ways to earn more uh, with the acreage that they have. And one of the movements that has sort of taken some some form and and gained momentum uh, is this notion of uh, cover cropping uh, or uh, having a product or a winter wheat product um, on the same soil that they had been used uh, uh, to grow corn or beans. And it's fascinating because the, the revenue could uh, be fairly uh, material uh, to the farmer. Um, it, is this a little bit what, what drove uh, your, your motivation to join Covercrest? Is this what they're working on to provide specific seed traits um, uh, for a product that can be grown in the in the off season. Yeah, generally that's exactly right, Ivan. So you know the business I mentioned, Dennis Plummer and the other founder, gentleman by the name of Mike Roth. I could mention an, an attorney colleague, I mean a colleague of mine in Monsanto. Um, they really they started this business, believe it or not, uh, over nine years ago, and it really was built on an idea that was coming out of the uh, USDA at the time. There was a there was a scientists in that area as well at the USDA that was kind of under government mandate for exactly the purposes you you mentioned, Ivan, kind of is thinking about how to be able to provide more opportunity for growers. It was evaluating various, what I would just call in the general category, cover crops that had a potential to do more than just provide soil health, but also could potentially have a commercial aspect as well and bring some new revenue to the farm. And and one of those was pennycrest. So pennycrest is the native field. Pennycrest is the native plant that we work with and that Terry was work with, working with. And the idea was pretty straightforward initially, like, like you know, all startups, you, you start with an idea and it, it evolves as you learn more. But 
um, Pennycrest, the seed in Pennycrest is an oil seed. So it can be crushed just like a soybean can be crushed or a canola seed can be crushed into an oil component and into a meal component. So it has you know, the potential to fit two really good markets in terms of oil, whether that's for industrial use or food, food use, and then the meal side of it for uh, livestock feed. So the thought was that by accumulating a diverse set of germplasm and field pennycress, throwing a little bit of traditional breeding at it, improving yields a little bit, that potentially there'd be a quick and ready market to uh, to, to deliver. And, and at that time, we would have just called it pennycress, not necessarily a branded product, cover crust, but to deliver pennycress to crush pennycress and deliver to those markets and, and try to tap into you know, we all remember what was happening with uh, with with all the renewable fuel mandates that were in place. A um, little bit of a harder project than initially expected, like a lot of companies run into. And so um, a lot of time and effort spent on traditional breeding. And then so this would have been 2013 through 2016. And again, we're working really hard to improve not only yield, but also maturity, trying to to a crop that would have a bit earlier maturity to fit in that window between corn and soybeans. In 2016, we also realized that really to be able to fit the marketplace, and as we learn more about the characteristics of pennycress, um, there are certain components. Pennycress is a brassica, um, and it has certain components in it that aren't necessarily work all that well when you're feeding animals, whether you're feeding it whole grain or you're feeding it the meal. So we started a gene editing program where we've looked to change the composition of the of the crop as well. So we've been working on kind of three primary areas. One of those is uh, the fiber content. So looking to reduce the fiber content, which aids in digestibility for the animals. Second one is removing uricic acid. So the uricic acid, again, is something that's not, doesn't work well in an animal ration. And the third one is there's a kind of a class of, taste profiles and flavor profiles that plasticas have. They're all called glucosinolates. We have one that's called synegrin. And so we're working to remove the synegrin level. And so if you were to, if you and I were had the, and someday we will, had the opportunity to be sitting together and I had a sample with you and, and you smelled the penny crest, it kind of has a garlicky sort of smell to it. And, and even a garlicky taste, you can eat it. It's perfectly safe for humans. But um, so it has taken time to build those programs. So we've been an R&D focused company over these last nine years to, to, to try to improve Pennycrest into what we're calling Covercrest now. And, and we are just this year with our, the plantings we did this past fall, have our first foundation seed in for our first commercial planting that'll happen this fall, fall of 2021. So, Again, that's the fruit of our labor. So we have a whole grain product that has low fiber, low urusic acid that can be used in its whole grain form as a feed additive to feed chickens, primarily broiler chickens. And that's the first market that we're going after. And we have a solution for the synegrin level um, in terms of a treatment that we help to neutralize that synegrin so you get the right you know, uptake by the chickens as they feed. There's no lingering effect in the in the meat of the chicken or in the in the uh, in any of the organs of the chicken that cause it any problem from that synagrin. So that's you know kind of where we're at. Um, so the opportunity 
one of the things that was attractive for me is, you know, Covercrest is going through a transition um, that uh, were really fun time to join and to be part of the team as we're kind of transitioning out of that, just that R and D phase into this commercial phase and having a chance to use a lot of my experiences being on the farm and building relationships with growers and building relationships with other players in our supply chain to be able to fulfill what will be who we see our customer and that's the the user of the grain. So in this case, somebody that's running a feed mill to feed chickens, they would be our customer and then we would work to we're working to have that full supply chain in place where we're contracting with growers to grow cover crests, contracting with with people that have handling assets to collect it, to dry it, to store it, and then to deliver it to the customer. As I mentioned we're about nine years old. Um, we've raised $14 million, and we have $4 million on the balance sheet. So we've been extremely frugal in how we've um, looked to raise capital, how we've how we spent that capital, invested that capital. Um, so um, one of the ways we've been able to do that is we're part of a – the USDA has a program, CAP program, where they provide grants to big initiatives that they're looking to fulfill. And so when you think about cover crest, cover crops as an initiative, there's a cap program all centered around penny crest. It's called I prefer. It's the acronym and it's integrated penny crest research and some other words. <laughs> um, so I prefer is a consortium of universities, the university of Minnesota, Illinois state university, Western Illinois University are the primary ones. Ohio State is also a part of it. And then Covercrest is kind of the commercial arm. So we have this phenomenal opportunity that we've worked over these past nine years with these universities to collaborate on breeding, to collaborate on gene editing, to collaborate on agronomy, and to really develop a system that's going to allow Pennycrest to be able to have a commercially viable path into the market, and that would be through Covercrest. So there is a big group of us that are working on it with the goal that it would all be commercialized through Covercrest. There isn't anybody else that's working on Pennycrest to date. So given that it's a new potential product, a new seed trait that farmers can use in between harvest and planting and and, and therefore generate more revenue, ideally they'll generate more revenue to cover the cost of, of planting the product. But um, what, what's your go-to market strategy? Because as yeah. you said, you need uh, a high volume of acreage in order to attract some of the oilseed crushers. Are you anticipating becoming the aggregator of the seed and, and collecting it and storing it and trading around it? Or are you looking to have local co-ops uh, consider doing this for you? Yeah, so the uh, real good question. So we look at our kind of value chain. We're building a, a closed loop chain. So as I mentioned, our, our customer is going to be that downstream user. The concept would be that we'd have a contract in hand from that downstream user that would pay once the, the grain was delivered. So whether that's being delivered to a feed mill to be added to chicken feed or whether that's going to somebody that's going to do the crushing of the grain to extract the oil and the meal. We have that contract in place. Um, and then if we work backwards from the down or up, upstream, I guess is a better way to describe it, we would have, uh, we envision that we would have relationship with 
co-ops and other grain handlers, groups in the Midwest that have grain handling assets that would have the capability and interest level, particularly given our timing, since we're kind of off-season for them as well in terms of when they're typically handling corn and soybeans, to be in a spot to collect the grain from the farm, to do some drying activities, just like any crop there, you know, we're harvesting somewhere in the, you know, no more than 20% moisture. And then we're drying it down to kind of a, kind of a stable level of, you know, eight to 10% moisture content. So dry it and then having the storage assets that they have. And then if you go to the next step, you know, upstream, that would all be done. The grain would get produced under contract with a grower. So we would, similar to seed production um, for corn and soybeans, the idea would be that we would provide cover crust to the farmer. Um, we provide the, con- the farmer with a contract. The farmer would be asked to plant cover crust um, to apply. We, we do need a little bit of fertilization in the spring, 50 units of end, um, to apply the fertilization in the spring and then to harvest cover crust um, in May when it, when it matures. Um, and then that would all be done under, you know, a, a contract that would deliver that grower an opportunity. We're really targeting something that's going to be in the early years in the $50 per acre range in terms of gross margin to the grower and growing from there as we scale. So that's great. You know, $50 that's, is great. Yeah. So, you know, the concept would be, hey, you know, $50 in your pocket before you plant your beans. Now, planting beans is a is an important aspect that we have to stay on top of. I've talked about maturity before. So we are right now with our current generation of genetics, we are in that May 20th timeframe when harvest occurs, which still works for guys that are planting beans. But a lot of the folks on your podcast here, I'm sure aware that farmers are planting soybeans earlier than they ever have and finding that there is some enhanced yield opportunity as a result of that. So, you know, as a part of that, we're not going to fit on every acre of the farm. So when we look at our market, we're given, so the other piece of, with the kind of the, just the, the biological characteristic of pennycress. So it is a winter annual and it does need that dormancy period over winter um, to occur. Uh, so um, there's really kind of a band that we see latitude. And if you think about, I'll use Illinois, cause that's going to be really our first, our first launch area commercially kind of think of I-64 on the southern end and I-72, I-74 on the northern end. It's kind of that band um, that we see where we fit really well for all purposes. One, not a lot of competition um, actually in that area. There's not a lot of farmers that are growing any sort of second crop. They're not doing winter wheat. Um, There are folks that are starting to do cover crop practices, but that's not widespread because there's no margin opportunity with planting a cover crop. You get the soil health benefit, of course, um, and the guys that are really into that are, are taking advantage of cover crops, but cover crops, but it's not widespread. So we, we like that concept. And then if you were to expand that latitude um, west towards Kansas, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, and then east Indiana, Ohio, um, you know, there's about 30 million acres in that band that I just described of corn and soybean rotation. Mm-hmm. Because of the early planting of soybeans, 
our addressable market, we see that we'll only get on two thirds of that. So we're really targeting 10 million acres in that market. And of that 10 million acres, it's probably going to take us the next five plus years to even get on a third of those acres. So in terms of us being able to properly launch Covercrest, build farmer recognition and understanding of how to work with Covercrest, get their trust and, you know, to, to build from there. So that's kind of gives you a little bit of the scale that we're thinking about and how we're, how we're going to go to market. So it's that band and, and there's going to be others as we grow, but we're really focused right now on those 30 million acres, how we grow those grow on a third of those acres or 10 million of them in a way that can really service and provide a great opportunity for farmers and service these two markets well, either, you know, feed for chickens or, or oil and meal if we, when we get to crush. I'm speaking today with Mike DeCamp, Chief Operating Officer of Covercrest, Inc. There's a lot of chatter these days around the acronym ESG, mm -hmm. and a lot of people are sort of discovering it uh, for the first time. But, you know, as you know, environmental, social governance, uh, at least on the environmental side, it's been a heavy focus in agriculture for a long time. Um, I'm curious, given that a farmer will be working the soil uh, in a time that they had not been uh, historically, that they were to plant cover crust, have, have there been any any studies on your side as to what the uh, the impact is on that soil um, you know, since it's gonna be used uh, uh, you know, in a time frame that may not have been in the past? Yeah, for sure. So one of the key features that that we bring to the market, particularly when you start to think about the crush market and go into renewable diesel, is we have a very low carbon intensity score. So there is a process that you go through to develop this carbon intensity score. There are really two components to it. There's a component where the scoring gets attributed to the production practices. And there's another one that gets scored in terms of the land use charge. And so we're kind of, because we're in the winter, we have a really favorable land use charge, really, because there's no land use that that's occurring. Um, it, it, that land is sitting there um, by putting a cover crop on top of it. You're actually enhancing the land because you're creating an opportunity for the soil to stay in place, the nutrients that are in the soil to stay in place, um, et cetera, during that growing period. We obviously have some charge on the production side. Now, our model is very straightforward. So the whole idea is that for a farmer, we're not asking that farmer to do anything that he isn't already doing. So whether you think about cover grass or you think about a cover crop, um, the, the way that the seeding happens is it happens through broadcast seeding. So what we need is soil contact. We don't need to drill. So that provides an opportunity to use very efficient planting methods. So one method that's used in cover cropping today and could be we could use as well as an aerial application. So let's say we're following following your farm's corn corn and you're going to plant cover crest. The cover crest could be broadcast spread by a it's been done by an airplane in the past, but that's not efficient. But there's a lot, new, a lot of new technology with drones. So drones could be used, and, and we, we, we have done this, to broadcast spread cover crests 
over a standing cornfield. Corn gets harvested, you know, with covercrest has still got the soil contact, it's below the corn fodder, and then it grows over winter. So no special trip for the farmer, no disturbing the soil, um, et cetera. Another method that's used quite a bit is there are a lot of guys that after they do their corn, they'll do a very light vertical tillage where they're only disturbing, you know, the first couple inches of the soil. And as part of that trip that they're gonna, they're making anyways for their vertical tillage, again, a broadcast seeder can be applied to that vertical tillage tool and broadcast spread while they're doing the tillage. So no new trip, no new greenhouse gas emissions. It's all happening by a trip that piggyback trip. So something that was going to happen anyways. Awesome. And then, yeah, and there's even, even newer technology where there are actually air seeders that are on combines. So while a guy's picking his corn, combining his corn, you actually, you can be dropping the seed as part of that combining. So, you know, again, you're going to have to harvest your corn. So since you're going that direction anyways, you might as well put your cover crop down or your cover crest for us down at the same time. So it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting opportunities in that regard. So, um, you know, we're working on that. There are, there are ultimately, um, you know, the, there are groups that would, uh, would approve and, 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 and finalize what our ultimate carbon intensity score would be, but we know we're going to be given some of the preliminary work we've done to be very favorable. So we have a really strong environmental profile and, and that results in a really low carbon intensity score, which then is one of the reasons why we feel really good about being in a position to be a feedstock for renewable renewable diesel. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that easy to apply the seed. I, I was thinking that it was an additional effort on the producer to go back out into the field and and plant the cover crust seed trait that you've developed. But it sounds to me like it's somewhat of an add-on, frankly, to what they're they're currently doing. I guess the biggest question is why wouldn't they do it? Um, and it sounds to me like you have to develop the market downstream uh, so that you have a place to sell it into. How's that going? You say you're gonna you want to talk to yeah. the chicken producers? I think, well, look, maybe two, maybe I want to answer that question, Ivan, but maybe just to go to why wouldn't they do it? It's a great question. So, you know, first off, right, it, it is new, right? If a farmer, you know, particularly in the Midwest, if a farmer is used to traditional corn and soybean um, rotation, and if that economically is working for that farm, you know, it is, there is a new activity that they're not otherwise doing where they're you know, again, there's going to be some competition about what, whether that's a leisure activity they're doing in the winter or other activities that help um, bring value to their operation. So there is there is a newness to it. And, and so and we're being very careful. A lot of us that are at Covercrest come out of Monsanto and spend a lot of time with growers. And, and we know that this has to be done right and well. So we're going to we're taking our time. We're slow about it because we want to get it right with the farmer. Um the other reason they may not do it was the point I made about soybeans, right? So if, if a guy does have a concern that, you know, we're going to in any way interfere with his follow-on soybeans, that could be an issue. And so we really developed two aspects of the business that we think help address that. One, and this point you made, because we're providing them a contract, we've taken the marketing risk off the table. So they have to worry about the downstream piece. You know, they'll get paid at harvest. 
And then the, the, the second aspect of that is, you know, we'll have an opportunity. It's our seed, right? We've provided them the seed. We're not selling them the seed. They're cultivating that seed and, and ultimately the grain under contract for us. So we can, you know, we can be in a spot where if we can tell come early spring before any nitrogen goes on for that spring fertilization, that it's a real poor stand or there are going to be other issues with harvestability that's going to impact that soybean crop. You know, we can make a determination with the farmer to terminate the cover crust crop. So there's, there's some, some safeguards that are built in to make sure that we're in a, in a good spot to help the farmer not disrupt their kind of their traditional practices. So that's, that's kind of the answer to, to the, to the why they wouldn't, maybe wouldn't do it. Um, on the market side, things are going extremely well. Um, we are right now, we've, we, we've, we're in our fifth of fifth and final of four feeding studies. We're working with a, with a customer, um, that will take the grain. It'll go in as a 4% inclusion into the feed ration and, um, then get fed to the chicken. So we've had, we've had four studies that we've done. We're on our fifth one. And the fifth one's really the most important one because it not only confirms the what I would call the the intake of the chicken so how do they feed on it what's their gain are there any issues with that we'll also be studying the pathology confirming that there's no negative impact to the chicken and then we're also going through a regulatory process so this grain will get fed under generally recognized as safe standards so we're going through it which is grass GRAS we're going through a grass panel as well. So we'll have all that in place um, um, come earlier this spring if all goes well. You always could have a, a result you don't expect. And then that'll put us in a spot. Like I said, we're bulking up our first foundation seed right now. We'll plant our first commercial crop in 2021. Again, because it takes time to build inventory, it's going to be a very small launch. We're probably only going to be on 1,000 to 2,000 acres in the fall of 2021. So when we harvest that grain in the spring of 2022, we're really only going to have enough grain to service one feed mill on a just-in-time basis. That's a truckload a day being delivered to the feed mill um, for probably 30 to 45 days. So it's going to be a kind of a pilot launch for us and for the customer. And obviously if that all goes really well, then that'll put us in a spot for a, a longer-term contract and our our second commercial planning, we're targeting 50,000 acres. So we're really making a jump from that first initial pilot launch of 1,000 acres up to up to 50,000 acres. So our, our big commercial step is going to be in the fall of 2022. Are they perennial or how do you protect yourself from the producer growing their own seed and not repurchasing the seeds? Well, first off, we're doing that because we're doing it under contract. So we're not selling them the seed. So we are uh, um, <clears throat> um, doing it all under contract. So that's our biggest protection there. Um, it's our property and they're, they're cultivating for us. And then, then we're taking it from there and moving it through the supply chain to the customer. So that's, that's number one. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the protection. But, you know, another, another related question that comes up, is is you know again this is a you know we don't have visuals on this podcast but if someone were to looking at a pennycrest seed imagine a flax seed so it, it's small 
and the the pod of a pennycrest plant it's a, it's it's heart shaped so it's a small probably the size of a nickel heart shaped pod that's bisected and there's seeds on either side of that bisection and 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 a lot of seeds because because it's small so we harvest this with a traditional um um draper head that you would use to uh, harvest soybeans so again no new equipment, nothing new that the farmer has to invest in to actually do the harvest. But, you know, we, there is, like, like there is in all grain harvesting, there is some that gets left on the field. And so we get asked the question a lot about, about volunteers and, and how do you manage volunteers. And one of the benefits is that because it's a winter annual, like I described earlier, and it needs to go through that vernalization, that cold period, actually, after after the harvest, even if there are some um, pennycrest seed that's left on the field when the soybeans are planted, it, it really doesn't germinate very well because it's too warm and then there'd be too much competition with the cover that the soybean provides that you really wouldn't have have any issues. So pennycrest, field pennycrest um, is a weed um, historically and then that's how it that's how it evolved, but only a winter weed. So we think we're okay there because you'd have germination and it would just die off. Well, it seems to me like a winning strategy. I mean, you're basically going to the farmer and offering low-hanging fruit to generate margin uh, that wasn't there before you came around. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how the uh, the trial comes along. I know there's a lot that needs to get done uh, before then, but I have a feeling it's going to be widely adopted because of the uh, the down cycle that we've been in for so many years. Farmers are, are just actively trying to figure out what else can they do on their soil. Um, maybe not so much today given what $5 corn, but who knows if that will last. You know, the one other benefit that we bring, and, and, and that's my job here is to talk about the benefit cover crest. One of the benefits we bring as well is because of the cover that happens in the spring, there's actually no need to do any type of burn down application before a farmer plants their soybeans. So there's a cost savings right off the bat that That's a farmer gets. That's a huge gets. comment that yeah. I don't think people are right. picking up on. Yeah. There will I, not didn't mention, I didn't mention earlier. Yeah, yeah there, there will really, not be a need for a burn down event. Yeah. So, so that has a cost you don't component need to, added. You don't need to drop all those chemicals on the field. Exactly. Right. Why so is that? An environmental, yeah, it has an environmental impact as well. Why is that? Because of the cover. So in the springtime, so if, if you and I were to walk right now, so we have all our field, and it's not a lot. It's our biggest planting to date, but we're on a little bit over 100 acres, primarily in Illinois. Got a few fields in field in Indiana, a couple fields in Missouri, and one in Iowa, primarily in Illinois. So you would not see the same sort of green that you would see if we were looking at, um, you know, a rye field or an oat field or some other kind of traditional cover crop field. What you'll see are small rosettes. So they're at the ground level. They're, you know, maybe the size of a half dollar or silver dollar, but they're building this really important root structure underneath the ground. So they're in place to maintain the soil, maintain nutrients to help to do the great thing of breaking up the soil so it doesn't get compacted over the winter. So that's happening in the winter. And then in the summer, or sorry, in the spring, as things start to warm up, the plant really starts to take off. Those rosettes get bigger. It grows up. It bolts. And we get just a big, you know, the best way I could think just to put a picture of it, it'd be like, it's not quite like a soybean plant, but it'd be like what a soybean plant does. 
So you get those, a big bush in essence that gets, gets developed and that creates a canopy and that doesn't allow the other weeds to come up. So it, it really helps to, to um, not give what any winter weeds that a farmer would typically have to fight with or remove before planting their soybeans. We take care of it by just crowding them out. Look, I think it's, I think it's all very exciting. Uh, I, I want my uh, my listeners to have a chance to understand who uh, Covercrest was because I think that it's a unique disruptor in agriculture that is coming about it in a traditional conventional approach in the sense that you're working with existing farmers, uh, you're up against you know existing farming challenges, which is getting adoption, but you'll have better adoption than most ag tech because it's planted and farmers know how to plant and grow things. And um, I, I think it's a really neat business model. And, uh, you know, I wish you guys all the luck uh, uh, to get to uh, the acreage that you need for this to become, you know, a, a, a very large viable uh, business model. I and, um, that, you know, you know, with that, we'll, we'll close because I know that you have a, a busy day uh, and that you've got a business to run. And uh, I want to thank you very much for taking time to, uh, to, to join me on, on this podcast. And as you said earlier, um, I look forward to uh, the opportunity of meeting in person, which hopefully we'll be able to do in the very near future. So thank you very much yeah, for, uh, for joining uh, the podcast. That's great, Ivan. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope it was useful for your listeners. You know, they can find us at www.covercrest.com, all one word. And I'm sure if anybody reaches out to you um, and wants my contact information, you have it, Ivan, feel free to share it. Happy to do so. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.